Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome back, as always, to Making Data Simple. I'm glad you found your way here. Today, I am with Frank Kane a founder of Sundog Software. I like the name, man. Founder of Sundog Software and Sundog Education. Here's what I know about uh, Frank. Uh, nine years at Amazon and IMDB. Uh, we may have to we have to tackle, tackle that in a bit. Um, talked about delivering product and movie recommendations, hundreds of, of, of clients. Uh, Frank is also, you tell me, Frank, but you must be technical. You got 17 uh, issued patents in the field of distributed computing, data mining, and machine learning. Uh, and now I think what this this company you've started since 2012. I'm doing a terrible job of introducing you, so I will let you introduce yourself. Thank you, Frank, for, for joining the podcast. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Actually, you did a good job there, so I think you hit on most of the high points. Uh, <laughs> you know, bunch of time at Amazon during their early years when they were still kind of like growing uh, exponentially at that point. And now these days, uh, my main gig is actually teaching people online about machine learning and big data and some of the stuff that uh, we pioneered back at Amazon. So how, how long were you at Amazon? Nine years? Yeah, uh, roughly nine years, give or take a few months. So why would you leave? Oh, boy. Uh, well, the, the honest answer is we couldn't take the weather in Seattle any longer. <laughs> and traffic was getting <laughs> bad. But, you know, as with any job, you kind of get like a seven-year itch after a while. So there was some of that going on as well, to be honest. So time to try something new. Figured we'd try... Uh, giving self-employment a go. And fortunately it worked out. Well, how would you, let me, let me back up for just a moment. How would you describe what you do? Uh, today? Uh, it's kind of a weird mishmash. So um, like you mentioned, I have two companies going on. One is in the field of visual simulation and actually simulating the sky and oceans for virtual reality training applications primarily. So that's about half of my time. And the other half is spent creating these online video courses uh, in the fields of machine learning and data mining and uh, big data analysis and that's actually reached an audience of uh, over 300,000 people now across the world. So the impact of that is pretty exciting. Are you a naturally a, a teacher? You are, you, uh, can, obviously, you, you must like to learn. All teachers do. But how did you get into the essentially what I would call the education space? Yeah, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. Um, was not the plan. You know, as with most ventures, you know, you start off thinking you're going to do one thing and end up doing something else. Uh, so when I left Amazon, I figured I'd just devote my time to the simulation software stuff, and that would be how I'd pay the bills, right? Um, but, you know, while uh, spinning that up, I started doing some freelance gigs on the side, and one of them was doing curriculum development for an e-learning company in New York City. And uh, basically, that spun into another uh, e-learning platform giving me a call saying, hey, you should uh, try doing this, uh, put out a course on uh, Hadoop. So I did, and it actually took off. And you know, as I began to grow and grow more and more and more, I figured, well, maybe I should double down on this and uh, actually focus more of my effort on online education. So, uh, yeah, it turned out that uh, people like listening to me and I had some knowledge to offer and it kind of worked out, surprisingly. This is all the education you're referring to is sundog-education.com where you can get this information and, and register for a course. Yeah, you can uh, hit up my own website there at sundog-education.com, but I'm on all the big major uh, e-learning platforms out there. There's a oh. bunch of them out there. Uh, the one that actually connected us is Manning Publications. So if you head over yeah. to manning.com and go to their live video link there, you'll see my face plastered all over that too. Nice. Um, I presume... The, these are all, uh, yeah, I see you out here. This is very nice. Thank you. 
with your your hat on you got to, you know what's what's that hat called <laughs> uh i think it goes by the name of a flat cap but yeah it's yeah, there you go you got the flat cap so uh all i presume these are all for fee uh yes yeah we uh you know we have like free lectures that you can like try before you buy but the courses themselves are paid yeah so we got all around machine learning data science deep learning python yeah, recommender systems and, uh, you know, Hadoop, the whole Hadoop ecosystem, Cloudera, all that good stuff. Are you on Coursera as well? Uh, I am not. That is one platform I'm not on. One platform you're not on. So you got to go to one of those. What other platforms are you on so folks can find you? Uh, in addition to Manning, you can find me on Udemy, um, Pact Publishing, and uh, Stack Social. Oh, there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, Lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning. And I'm sure I'm missing a few, but those are the big ones. So, but you also said you were at IMDb. Yeah, is IMDb that... is actually a subsidiary of Amazon. So uh, it was oh. sort of an internal transfer, if you will. But um, my last couple of years, they were actually running the technology team for IMDb.com, which was a lot of fun. So when you're doing, I, the reason I thought of the movie recommendations, IMDb. So I just cut the cord. And uh, now I am, right now, I mean, I'm playing around trying to find the best like scenario, but, uh, or what app I'm going to use. I've been playing around with Google TV, but the other day you can search through all the apps now, which is kind of cool. And I was searching for a movie and it br brings up I IMDB. And now the movie is free, but I do have to watch commercials like intermittent in, in, in that movie, which wasn't, wasn't that bad. I got to watch the movie that I wanted. So it was a fair trade. At least I thought. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of expanding beyond their original uh, vision of just providing information about movies. So, you know, historically, IMDb was a place you went to see what else was this actor in or who is that actor in that movie, right? And uh, that's still its main thing. But I think they're kind of like, uh, I hate to use the word synergy, but, you know, taking advantage of their studio in Los Angeles with Amazon.com and maybe leveraging some of Amazon's streaming and video streaming efforts to have their own offering under the IMDb brand these days. Yeah, I was, well, I was just surprised when that, I, you know, when I think of IMDb, I think exactly as you describe, finding information. And I did the search and all of a sudden, hey, you can, you can uh, play this movie with IMDb, but you, you know, you're going to watch some commercials. I don't know. It sounds like that's the new space that they're getting into. I don't know. Probably yeah. leverage, to your point, the, the relationship with Amazon. Yeah, and it's kind of a different angle on it. You know, it's a free TV. It's kind of like broadcast TV streamed on the Interschnitzel, you know, so uh, it's yeah. kind of a unique idea. So is that where you, but going back to the movie element of this, uh, I know that, you know, you were managing some of the technology around delivering product movie. Is that where you got into machine learning of it, uh, initially? Yeah, yeah. So when they hired me at Amazon, it was actually into their personalization team. And that was the guys that make uh, people who bought also bought and recommended for you and all the systems on Amazon that try to predict the next thing that you want to buy and put that in front of your face, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I had the uh, privilege of working on some of the early versions of that technology. And, you know, we didn't even call it data science or machine learning back then. It was just, you know, algorithms that software engineers like messed with. So, um, but yeah, that's where it all started. And uh, that was kind of the focus of my career at Amazon for the most part. Does that not bother you? It bothers me a little bit. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell oh, you. Oh, yeah. There's a whole I use Amazon, and I'm like, you know, they're doing a pretty damn good job right now of, you know, go in there, and then it makes uh, recommendations that are in your liking or, you know, similar to what you brought before. And I'm like, damn, Amazon. You know, the, <laughs> I, 
it, and they're making it too easy also to to, to just buy because the buy with one click is just way too easy. So you just got to stay out of Amazon. But then you got a little bit of Big Brother going on, do you not? Yeah, there are definitely ethical concerns. I mean, you know, our our intent was always just to make uh, life easier for people, right? Like to let you find the things that are uh, relevant to your unique niche interests more easily and sort of express your individual tastes and preferences. Um, but yeah, it kind of morphed into something else over the years, right? I mean, not just within Amazon, but uh, that personalization technology that tries to understand individual preferences, those initial ideas are what, you know, sort of became advertising tracking and, you know, what Facebook is doing to you and everything else that's tracking you across the internet and trying to target ads at you, trying to figure out what uh, social media posts you want to look at. It's really created these filter bubbles, right, of where people just get locked into this uh, bubble of their own interests and don't really see the world outside of that. Well, that's a, that's another derivative I haven't even thought of. You know, my issue is is the ethical issues. And look, I don't, I don't, I think it's going to be the challenge of our time. A lot of people, as I've said before in this podcast, are, are more worried about like uh, the Terminator taking over just because of how movies portray AI. Yeah. That's not my concern. Anybody that's, well, this is my point of view, I guess, but anybody that's educated at all, you know, they look at it and they say, look, the more concern, the bigger concern I have is the ethics around data, stealing data, et cetera. And look, I'm not even faulting Amazon, Facebook, other companies like that in some sense in that I think just naturally, I mean, even if you're trying to do the right thing, but the better, the more data you have, the better decisions you can make. I just think they naturally are going to be, you know, heading in that area because, you know, the, the pressure is going to be so much to, oh, we got to find new ways to get data. There's also going to be situations where people like pay for your data. In, in other words, like here's your phone bill. It's a hundred dollars. Oh, by the way, if, if you give us your data, we'll only charge 50. Yeah. You know, most millennials are going to take that deal. So, I mean, it's like, God, it's, but then, you know, they're taking all the personal information. It's like unavoidable. It's like, I'll give you one more example that kind of, I was at the dinner last night and a gentleman said, oh, I'm never going to do the 23andMe thing with the, the you know, because he didn't want to give up his DNA. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to have my DNA. And I said, yeah, but you just got through telling me one of your kids did that. So uh, I think they got your DNA, man. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like that ship has sailed, you know, and um, I don't know, like Pandora's box and all that stuff. I mean, I'm with you. Like I just installed a uBlock Origin and Privacy Badger on my browser for all those reasons because it's starting to creep me out. You know, when I see these really hyper-targeted ads, I'm like, uh, this is starting to feel uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's a good point, uh, Frank. So you've been in the hornet's nest, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, you know what the... Uh, you know, what's going on there? What do you recommend in terms of, you, you say you installed some software to help prevent that? Yeah, actually, I stumbled across a uh, write-up in the New York Times. They actually had a really good series about uh, protecting your online privacy. And uh, a couple of their recommendations was, you know, in addition to the usual stuff like installing a password manager and all that stuff, uh, a couple of specific Chrome extensions. One is called uBlock Origin, which actually blocks the ads themselves, and another one called Privacy Badger. I think that's actually made by the uh, Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation. And its job is just to sort of learn what things are tracking you in your own individual browser and block those over time. That's it. How long have you used it? Yeah, I mean, is it? I've been with them for a couple of months now, and uh, yeah, I have not turned them off yet. So it's been a positive experience. Well, but have you? Has it been eye-opening, or is this just? Are you haven't studied enough yet, or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, just looking at this website that I'm on right now, talking to you, like it's blocking 14 different things right now. So you know, it's 
pretty shocking <laughs> what's out there. That, man. Yep. Now, what have you done? I'm, I'm talking to our producer, Liam. <laughs> See, what have you done? Now I'm being tracked on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But that's it's nothing. Like you'd be amazed at stuff that's that tracks nothing. you out there. And it's all being like pulled together and like, you know, across different websites and different properties. That's where it gets really creepy. Um, do you do you agree with me then? I mean, this is like the 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 challenge. At least, uh, I don't know if it's of our time. That's a big statement, but I, I certainly think it's the challenge of the day. I mean, do do you feel the same way? Given you 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 you've you've been like coding some of these algorithms. Well, I would say today, like it's not something to be super scared about because having been in the hornet's nest, like you said the people that are building these systems generally have good intentions, at least, you know, they're just trying to make more money for their company. They're not trying to like profile you and like, you know, send the government knocking on your door to cart you away because of your political views or something like that. Right. Uh, It's all very innocent in their eyes, at least. Uh, But of course the potential is there for bad things to be done with this data. Right. And that's still worrisome. Yeah. But what's the, what's the uh, quote, something based on good intentions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was actually a a big thing within Amazon itself. You know, I mean, Jeff Bezos always said that good intentions are are useless. You know, it's mechanisms and, um, you know, processes that are that count like what you want to happen doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Because that's the thing that that that's what scares me most. Right. I'm not doubting you. That's why I kind of give that qualifying statement. I think, you know, I'm sure ninety nine point nine percent, let's say 100 percent is all good intentions. The, the only issue is that, you know, it's still you're, you're trying, like you said, you know, trying to make money, trying to get more data, trying to do it on the up and up. Yeah. It still doesn't change the fact that we're gathering all this data and, and pretty soon, uh, you know, it gets a little eerie. And you even said yourself, it feels and you, you've downloaded uh, two of the, the preventions yourself. So it's not, I don't know. I, it's like we got to educate people to take precaution. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, you do end up with mixed feelings about it when you use these blockers, right? Because, you know, you'll go to websites that the only way they can make money is through online advertising. And maybe they're promoting something that you actually care about. And you're depriving them of money by blocking the ads on their site. So it's not always a clear ethical call as to what the right thing is to do when it comes to blocking ads. But you are still using it. I am. Yeah, on the whole, you know, that's the decision I've made. Um, Because like you said, good intentions, it's not always. I mean, this is why I spend a lot of time in my classes talking about ethics. Because it's very easy as an engineer to just say, this is my job. I'm totally focused and devoted to what my boss is telling me to do. I'm going to do it as best as I can, you know, using whatever means necessary. And unless you step back and ask yourself, how could this thing that I'm building be used in ways that I never intended uh, for things that I might not like? You know, you have to remember that technologists are hard to find, the good ones at least. And you can say no, you know, you can push back. And I think it's very encouraging that we're seeing, you know, people within Google or within Facebook starting to do this, you know, pushing back against their management and saying, hey, you know, I'm not sure this is really an ethical thing to be building. This could be abused somehow. Well, you know, what's, it, it, that's an interesting uh a progression that I've taken uh, being on the AI side is, is uh you know, first I'm learning machine learning, then I'm learning deep learning or, or not in that order. But uh, then, you know, I just continue looking at learning Python. Now I'm spending a lot of my time on those that, that ethics piece, mm-hmm. which is an area that I never envisioned to get into. That's why in a couple of my podcasts previously, you know, we've talked about how the humanities are coming back in, in fierce force uh, around, you know, the 
I don't know, concerns, cautions, interest in AI, whatever. You say you do teach that in your class as well? Yeah, there's a whole like 15 minute segment in my machine learning course on just the ethics of it all and, you know, how to make sure you're not building something evil inadvertently. (laughs) Can you give us, I don't, I don't want to give away your class, but can you give us like two minutes of, uh, you know, just your, your, your thoughts there that kind of, you know, actually should encourage people to take that class? Uh, thoughts specifically on the ethics part of it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's just one small piece of it. You know, most of it's about, you know, teaching the actual algorithms behind deep learning and reinforcement learning and machine learning and all that stuff. But, uh, the ethics, I mean, is it a lecture? You just saying, Hey, keep ethics in the forefront of your, your programming of machine learning. All right, now let's go. Or do you actually give some, some, practice or prescription of, you know, look, if you really want to keep ethics at the forefront, here's what I encourage you to do. Yeah. I mean, like I said, um, it's just, it is one lecture, but it's a lengthy one and a very heartfelt one, you know, where I just, it's kind of like, you know, gather around the fire while uncle Frank tells you some more stories. <laughs> so, you know, I, I talk about the story of, you know, how we developed this personalization technology at Amazon and it morphed into this thing that sort of took over the internet over time. Like I don't feel directly responsible for it or anything like that, but I don't feel good about it. You know, um, it had a positive effect, but it kind of <laughs> blossomed into this thing that ate the world. Um, and you know, the, the moral of that story is just think about how your technology could be used in ways that you did not originally intend it for, right? Like we never thought about creating filter bubbles when we first developed this technology, it just happened. And you know, maybe if we like paid more attention to that starting to happen, we could have reined that in before it was too late. Yeah, but that goes back to where we started with. I think it's just naturally going to happen. If you didn't do it, somebody else would. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't feel terribly guilty about it, because I know if it wasn't me, it would have been someone else. There's a clear financial incentive to build these systems and it's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, you can't help it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it depends. I mean, we are seeing more and more engineers pushing back on things that can clearly be abused. Right. I mean, um, if someone tells me, you know, what's an example, um, you know, facial recognition systems being deployed to police stations and things like that. Um, there's obviously the potential for that to go sideways. Right. I mean, it's intended to be a good thing, but it could be abused. So, you know, we're seeing more and more engineers pushing back against developing these sorts of things, even though their company is pressuring them to do it for the financial gain. And I think that's great. Um, But that's what I try to convey in that lecture in my course. You know, you have some power as an engineer because you are a scarce commodity in this market. It is extremely hard to replace really good engineers and you can push back and get away with it. So, (laughs) you know, make your feelings known, you know, make your voice known to your management. Um, You don't really have a whole lot to lose by doing so. Yeah, no, I, no, look, I, I, I agree with you. I just think that the forces are so strong. I mean, even if you look at a macro scale, I mean, look at China right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably the largest AI investment, uh, the government obviously being a driving force. They want to be the global center of innovation by 2030, as, as stated by their government directly. Uh, and speaking of the visual recognition, by 2021, they're going to have 626 million cameras. Wow. Uh, in uh, in in place in 2021, and like for 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 a lot of people out there, uh, including myself, you'd say, "Oh, that scare that scares the hell out of me," uh, you know. But on the other hand, if you if you depends on this goes back to the ethics debate uh, at a worldwide level, you know, you could say, "Hey, look, uh, they they could be more they could be safer. They have more information than than they've ever had before to be help make decisions, make driving conditions safer. Could go on and on, right? That would be their argument. Uh, I I 
I struggle with the uh, the personal, uh, what I want to say, the privacy piece of it. Yeah, I mean, but look, I mean, say, yeah, I, totally. That's the dilemma, right? I mean, I had a sort of a, a personal moment with that not too long ago. Uh, a friend of mine posted a picture on Facebook that's saying, "I saw this guy on the subway. He looks like someone famous, but I can't place who it is. Can, does anyone know who it is?" So <laughs> I took that picture and I fed it into Amazon's uh, facial recognition system called Recognition, and it came right back with a result. Uh, this is this is the actor's name. It's some guy I never heard of, but you know, this guy, my friend, had heard of him. It's like, oh yeah, that's who it is. I'm like this poor guy is just like standing on a subway, minding his own business. And I'm like identifying him like from the other side of the planet here. And that just feels a little bit creepy, you know? Oh, man. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Look, I said, like I said earlier, I, I, I think you're doing right by teaching in your class, but I just, I'm not sure how to stop the momentum. Uh, that's going to be the, the challenge. Well, I mean, what else can you do? I mean, uh, the alternative is to take a fatalistic attitude and just let it happen. And, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not doing that. Don't get me wrong. I think AI is going to better the, 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 you know, the world in, in immense ways, but it's going to do so in augmented intelligence. But all I'm suggesting is, mm-hmm. is we need to watch out for the ethics. Forget the Terminator thing. Oh, yeah. uh, We're that, nowhere that's, near that's that. A, <laughs> right. So you, um, you're, you're a man after my own heart, uh, electrical engineering, uh, same as me, but you also made the conversion, same as me, to computer science. Talk to me a little bit about how, how that happened for you. Well, it sounds like you have a similar story. Um, yeah, I mean, like I went to school in the uh, late 80s, early 90s for electrical engineering because my counselor told me that you can make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> and <laughs> That's that's usually how it starts. Yeah, yeah. And then I graduated and nobody would give me a job. So um, anyway, fortunately, back then, computer science degrees were kind of a new thing. And uh, they taught a lot of computer science and computer engineering as part of the electrical engineering field. Um, so an electrical engineering degree could still get your foot in the door for uh, computer jobs. Uh, initially, what I did was actually went out to work for Sierra Online, which was a game company in California. If you're of a certain age, you might remember games like King's Quest and Police Quest and SWAT and Leisure Suit Larry and all that stuff. So that was my first real job out of college. <laughs> That's what well, you. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Are you telling me you coded Leisure Suit Larry? I'm not proud. Um, <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry <laughs> 7 for the Mac specifically is uh, one thing that I worked on, yes. That is the funniest. Uh, I do know Leisure Suit Larry, and uh, I guarantee you our producer right now is 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 Googling that because he probably has no freaking idea. <laughs> he's, he's a bit younger than both of us, uh, but that is funny. Yeah, you know, I think it was pretty successful, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was hugely successful for obvious reasons. It was lewd. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing is that the same guy that created those Leisure Suit Larry, Larry games, his name was Al Lowe, he actually produced a really great children's game called Torrens Passage. And uh, that was actually one of the favorite games that I worked on. It's a complete polar opposite of Leisure Suit Larry. Weirdest thing. Well, that's probably why he did it, right? He felt yeah, he tried to atone for its sins, perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, fun fact, Torrance Passage, which is like this like totally G-rated kids thing, uh, uses the exact same engine as Leisure Suit Larry. Really? That's it. That is interesting. Are they still around? Oh gosh, they've been bought and sold a million times. So, I mean, someone still owns the IP, but I don't think they're really actively producing anything anymore. So, you started in really the gaming industry. Yeah, after Sierra, I went to work for uh, Looking Glass Studios, which was another game company in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and worked on a uh, flight simulator there called uh, Flight Unlimited. And uh, uh-huh. after that, I moved to Florida and started working in the military visualization training and simulation space. Well, the good news is, yeah, then you, you get into more uh, 
I, I don't know what I say, more professional. I, they're all professional stuff, but I mean, more like uh, high tech for, for the government and uh, to proceed, you know, with that. Yeah. Anyway, that sounds pretty cool, too. Is uh, so talk, talk to me about uh, Sundog software. So you've, you've got, uh, you know, you started a gaming, you, you go to Amazon, IMDB. Man, this is pretty cool stuff. I think you've got a much more exciting road than, than mine. Mine's similar, but it's not as I'm not doing, I, I never did gaming, uh, so to speak. But uh, then you, you've, you created Sundog uh, software. What was the motivation and, you know, what was the motivation? What got you started? Uh, it sounds like, like in most companies, you started with one idea, you've taken a, a pivot, or at least you've branched in different areas. Tell us how that's went. Yeah, I mean, Sundock Software is actually that rare thing that's uh, lasted for like 15 years now. So there, there's not been much pivoting on that one. Uh, the story behind that is uh, when Amazon hired me, they got me from a training and simulation company here in Orlando, Florida. And what I was doing there was building uh, basically 3D engines for you know military training. Uh, so when I went to work for Amazon, I left all of that behind, but there were still some fascinating unsolved problems there that were still eating at me. Right. So when Amazon put me into a managerial position about a year later, um, I started to get this itch, you know, like ah, I'm a manager now I need to still write code or I'm going to like lose my edge. Right. So I just started hacking on this on the side, basically at home, you know, it was the, the sort of thing where it had absolutely no competition with Amazon. So it was completely clean from a, uh, non-compete standpoint. Uh, but I just started like putting together this simulation software that simulated the sky and clouds and, uh, and weather effects. And no one had really done this before in a really good way. Um, so it was just, it started off as kind of a side hobby. And when it actually started working, I said, well, maybe I can make some money off of this. So I threw it out on the internet and, uh, you know, put a for sale sign on it and people actually started paying for it. And it kind of grew into what it is still to this day. So are they, they, are they essentially OEM in it? In other words, are they, they pulling it into their software? Is that how they use it? Or is it? Yeah, it's basically software libraries that does low level, uh, you know, 3D rendering using OpenGL or DirectX and people uh, link that into their own simulator applications. Nice. And do you still, you're, you're still working on that as well? Or have you branched into more other simulations or where, you know, I know you've done the education, so I know you've done some branching off, but, uh, you know, are you still doing similar simulations? I am. Yeah, it's still doing pretty well. Um, you know, I've handed off uh, a lot of that work to, you know, other contractors so I can focus more on the education side because there's only one of me. Uh, but yeah, I'm still writing code for the uh, simulation stuff. Our, our latest, our newest product is actually called Triton 3D Oceans. So it does a 3D simulation of oceans and all the waves and ship wakes and things like that. So for people doing maritime training and naval training, uh, it's found a niche there as well. You still code every day? Not every day. I'd say most days. <laughs> well, that's pretty pretty good, though. I mean, good for you for it. I mean, we've got a tendency across the whole industry. You turn in good uh, programmers into managers, and you're right. They, they <laughs> You end up not coding. So I always say anybody that's making that transition, you either be better be one hell of a leader or else your marketability is going to you know, decrease substantially. Because you're you're very marketable, obviously. If, if you're coding, you got that kind of skill. I mean, it's even it's a, it's a trade. Go to you go to leadership. You better be that influencer that you think you can be, or else you've just you just you know you've just cut your marketability. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to take it too far either, though. You know, like I've seen sort of a failure pattern of new managers that were plucked out of the technical field is that they just continue to focus on coding and and the technical stuff, and they. 
they I fail agree. to focus on the interpersonal issues that they have to deal with as a manager, you know, so there has to be a balance. You need to still be technical enough that your staff will respect you as one of their own. Uh, but you can't focus on it to the exclusion of dealing with the larger organizational issues that you're there to solve. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, back to the education. So I think you've recently celebrated your 300,000 student on uh, Udemy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's like more than the population of the city I live in. <laughs> so you, they must be, I mean, very popular. What uh, courses have you seen the biggest enrollment in? And um, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, up until now, the uh, most popular course has actually been my uh, ultimate hands-on Hadoop course, which just teaches, you know, the Hadoop ecosystem and Apache Spark and things like that. Uh, but recently, the field of uh, certification preparation has really taken off for me. So uh, the most popular class right now is actually a prep course for the Amazon Web Services Certified Machine Learning Exam. And it seems there's just sort of this insatiable appetite for certifications these days. So is that what you're essentially doing with all a lot of your classes? I mean, all of them are, are now have certifications then, I would imagine, because that's the, the, the attraction at the end of the day? Well, you know, we've seen that uh, courses that do offer preparation for a tangible certification that you can put on your LinkedIn page are the ones that do the best. So, yeah, that is kind of the pivot right now. I have kind of mixed feelings about certifications in all honesty, but um, they, uh, they are important for a lot of people. So if I can help them get them, all the better. That's I, I have mixed feelings about them as well because I mean it's yeah. like anybody can get through some of those certifications and you know it's kind of like you're motivated as an educator to at least you want people to take your classes you can't make them too difficult uh, so I, I I don't know I don't I, sometimes obviously they're worth something because people are doing it they're they're attracted to it but sometimes I'm questioning what they're actually worth I mean tell me what do you think they're worth. Well, I've kind of uh, come around to them lately. So back when I was a hiring manager at Amazon, like if I saw a certification on your resume, it probably did more harm than good, to be honest, because I thought, well, why are you wasting your time like studying for a test instead of building stuff and building up your experience and accomplishments, right? Um, but, uh, you know, in the course of making these courses, I've had to go out and get those certifications myself so I can teach them. And these are not easy tests. I mean, I got to say, I have a lot more respect for people who pass these things than I used to. Uh, so I'll, I'll give them that. You know, and the other thing, too, is different cultures, different countries value these certifications more so than others. So we see a huge point. demand in India, for example, for these courses, because a certification really means something there, it seems, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I think that is one way to bridge different cultures, languages, et cetera. And, and you're right, it probably has more meaning in some areas. Fantastic. Look, uh, thank you very much. Uh, where can people find out more about what you're, you know, where would you have them go? How, how do they know what you're working on? Uh, where would you like them to, uh, to get more information? Well, I'll uh, explicitly give a plug to uh, Manning.com because they introduced us. So if you head over there and go to their live video tab, you'll uh, find some of my offerings there. And if you want more about uh, me, go to sundog-education.com and you'll find uh, all my stuff there in one place. So more education for you, from you. That's what we can expect in the future. Absolutely. I'm not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> Great. All right. So look, before we go, I want to play a little game with you. It's called Underrated or Overrated. All right. All right. You ready? Let's go. All right. All right. Uh, underrated or overrated. You, you got to fall on one side of the fence, though. You can't, you can't uh, cop out. All right. Fair enough. Amazon. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I told Underrated. Underrated. All right. Underrated. Yes. I think they get a lot of bad press that is not deserved. But anyway. 
I think I, I'm. I think they're well-meaning one way or another. It's just one of those things that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm with you, yeah. MATLAB. Uh, overrated. I one just, statement on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just don't really see it being used a whole lot in the field these days. It seems like uh, Python and Jupyter notebooks are what people are using now, and uh, MATLAB. I just don't see a whole lot of it. Virtual reality. Oh, uh, oh! It has so much potential, but I'm gonna go with overrated. You know, I've got a Vive Pro here at home, or Vive Pro, however you say it. I really didn't know what the pronunciation was on that. Really fun yeah. stuff, but, you know, it just has this critical mass problem where there's not enough adoption to make it financially viable to develop really, really great games for it. And it's got this, like, horrible chicken and egg thing going on right now. But don't you think, I mean, it, I, I, you're, you're right. It's, all, it's all, like always the uh, technology of the future, and the future never seems to get here. But... Man, I, I can envision me sitting on the uh, 50-yard line at the, the Super Bowl in some, like, VR thing where it's just fantastic. I mean, you don't think we're going to get there soon? Oh, yeah. We could totally do that right now, I think. Um, you know, the technology is pretty awesome. So there's three barriers, I think. You know, one is just uh, cost, obviously. These things still are not cheap. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of adoption just for that reason. Uh, two is, you know, the lack of software. You know, the current uh, selection is still pretty minimal. And three is just that it's still kind of clunky. You know, you have to like turn on your computer, figure out how to start up Steam VR, whatever you're using, you know, work out all the technical kinks of that, strap this thing to your head, fish around for the hand controllers that are somewhere that you can't see because you have this thing strapped to your head now and, you know, get it all aligned and stand in the right place. And it's just, uh, it's just not something that's easy to do today. Right. And I think that's actually the main reason why I don't use it on a daily basis. It's just a pain in the butt to get it set up. Yeah, but I guess that's just it, Frank. I'm, I'm with you. I get it. But I would have thought the technology would have been um, far more advanced by now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, you could say that about a lot of things, right? I mean, even AI, yeah. for example, like you know, we predicted that we'd have, you know, full self-driving cars by now and, and we don't. Um, things seem to be slowing down a little bit. And it seems like we're kind of like uh, hitting an asymptote in some ways. And we had this kind of like surge of innovation, you know, maybe four or five years ago. And now it seems like we're kind of reaching some of the limits of it. Fair, fair enough. All right, back to underrated, overrated. Data mining. Data mining, underrated. People don't talk about it anywhere near enough. Um, you know, extracting meaning from your data, that's where the business insights come from. But everyone's like caught up in the machine learning side of it these days. But data mining is still important. No one talks about it anymore. Spark. Spark, underrated. I think it's still awesome. If you want to like distribute stuff across a cluster, it's a very easy way to do so. And it has some really cool capabilities, especially with machine learning, that you're not going to find anywhere else. All except 3.0, which was a little under. under oh, the 3.0 release. I, you know, I'm not going to say that's underrated or overrated because no one's really talking about it yet that I can see of. You know, like there's uh, not been a lot of press around it yet, which is kind of weird. The Matrix. The Matrix. Great yeah. movie. Like, <laughs> uh, so you mean the movie or the idea? Well, either. Okay. I, I, I think I just got it from you. Underrated because you like it. Absolutely. One of the greatest movies ever. All right. Uh, Ivy League colleges. Ooh. Ooh, I'm going to tick some people off with this one. Uh, overrated by far. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Good. I like it when we tick people off in this podcast. That's what I know I'm doing. That's our job. goal. Yeah. Online education. Uh, well, I'm a little bit uh, biased here, but I will say underrated. Um, it does, you know, I can tell you it's growing at a really good clip still. And, uh, those Ivy league colleges better watch out. So, so would you think when, when will, um, I don't want to ask this question. 
Uh, I mean, like if I was, if I go get an MBA, you recommend an online education or would you say, hey, no, you better go to, uh, you know, a prestigious college? I would say you need to understand who it is you're trying to get a job from and know what they want to see, right? Um, MBAs in particular are kind of a hot topic because I've worked at companies where having an MBA would do more harm than good on your resume. You know, we'd be like, ah, this guy's an MBA. He's full of it. Um, but <laughs> you know, in other industries, other companies, they would place, place a lot of value on that. And in still other companies and industries, they might specifically want MBAs from specific institutions. So, you know, just like everything else, work backwards from your customer, uh, know who your dream employer wants to see that MBA from, or if they want one at all and base your decisions on that. All right. Very, very good. I mean, so a little bit, what about the education piece? You think you get the same online that you can at these universities? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the main thing that the universities offer is the networking piece of it, right? You know, you meet people that, you know, you might do stuff with later on, but the actual ideas and knowledge is, you know, very easily attainable either through online courses or through books or what have you. I mean, you know, I just picked it up, you know, just by surrounding myself with uh, very smart business people at Amazon and, you know, reading the books that they were reading, you know, and I think I got probably 90% of what you get from an MBA just by doing that. All right. Florida. Florida. Oh, Florida. So underrated. Everyone like everyone disses it and talks about Florida, man, all the time. But uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful climate, um, you know, very low cost of living. You know, I love it here. No taxes. No taxes. Well, Even better. Yep. All right. This is why I asked you the last one. Newsy hats. You know what this is? This is the, would you call it a flat hat? Yeah, yeah. Same thing, I think. Yeah, they're, they're a slight variation. They go by different names. Um, I'm, you know, for my own sake, I'm going to say overrated because I don't want more people wearing them because it's kind of like my trademark thing. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Learned a lot. Uh, obviously, we all need to get to your your education. And, and I think you have a, 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 a couple of trials, don't you, out there? Yeah. If you go to my website, you'll see a free trial of a uh, fully featured deep learning class. So I invite you to go to sundog-education.com and Give that a whirl. And if you like what you see, go hunt down my other courses and uh, learn even more. And I presume that that class itself emulates what you'll see in the other class. So in other words, if you like that, you'll like the other classes. Yeah, it's actually a section from one of my larger classes. So it's it's the real deal. It's the real deal. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. And what, what the listeners may not know is I was a little bit late today because I had a timing problem. So uh, I humbly apologize. I, I fully respect your time, Frank. Uh, it's all good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, as always, again, I greatly appreciate it. Please take the time to, to rate us. And as always, again, if uh, if you have any feedback, comments, questions, concerns, uh, any prospects that you'd have to, like to have on the show, please hit almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and